makes the cut. First down. Spinston scores. Blake Corr puts Michigan on top in overtime. Pound for pound, can anybody carry more weight on his back than I'm Blake Corr? I'm telling Corum? you, this little guy with all of that power. Uh, this is why I, I was yelling at the TV. This is why you came back. This is why you came <laughs> okay, back. Yes. yes. Oh, my goodness. Hey, happy New Year, belated but yes. heartfelt. This is Tuesday, uh, January 2nd. 2024 repeat after me 2024 yeah. i still write checks like to yeah. the daycare yeah. it's gonna be 2023 2024 <laughs> you might want to just fill a few of those in ahead of yeah. time yeah. nothing yeah. else but yeah. just that um but yeah what a way to start the year and honest to goodness we begin this year with a miracle in japan did you hear about mm-hmm. this flight yes. japan air flight 400 people on it yes it lands crashes into a coast guard plane bursts into flames and they successfully evacuate 367 passengers and 12 crew members now there is a thing called the 90-second standard, which says you must evac- be able to evacuate a plane with only half of the exits in 90 seconds. The problem is when they do that test to see if the, the, the design of the aircraft passes, they use all these able-bodied people oh, that are all young. Right. Of course. Yeah. Right. I mean, nobody like me with a handicap limp. or yeah, <laughs> right. about holding a baby in your arms. Exactly. exactly. And yet these people were able to do it. So I'll take that as the first miracle. Man, Maybe amazing. the second miracle after the Michigan win. Oh, my but, goodness. Uh, oh, and this, uh, let the celebration continue. You know what? Third time is the charm. Finally, they get this monkey off their back. They head to the national championship. Michigan beats Alabama 27-20 in overtime last night. An absolute thriller. Even if you weren't a Michigan fan, this was a fun game to watch. It was a fourth quarter comeback. Alabama had all that momentum. The Wolverines were down seven. Harbaugh goes for it on that crucial fourth and two. That was so big. If they don't make that Basically, the game's over. They tie it up. They go to overtime. We just heard Blake Corum rushing for 17 yards on the second snap of overtime. That's all they needed. Michigan advances to its first college football playoff championship game. Let's hear from Corum, who didn't get to play in this game last year. It was team effort. Team effort. We're going to do an adversity here. We had some adversity today. A little sloppy, but we came together as one. You know, I'm my brother's keeper. I know my brother's had my back. And I told him, if we score, we tie this damn good overtime, we're going to win. And we came out top. I'll see you in Houston. See you in Houston. It's very exciting. But the the ability of J.J. McCarthy yes. on the pass back yeah. to go airborne and do a Odell Beckham-esque one-handed, one-handed catch and then release it. On a quick release yeah. for a connection. Going backwards. Yeah. Great play. Roman Wilson for defying gravity again and again, but on that tip pass, bringing that down. I don't know how tall he is, but his vertical leap, huge. amazing. Yeah, yeah, huge. And, you know, J.J. McCarthy is sort of every Michigan fan, I'm sure, last night and how he was feeling after the win. Feels absolutely amazing, but, you know, it's the pain that got us here. It's the ups and downs, and, you know, especially the downs that got us to this point. And, you know, just all the credit goes to my teammates, my coaches, and just all the credit goes to Alabama. They're a great football team, and we're just ready to enjoy this one. I love his his take on that. He was talking to Hobie from WDIV. He said, hey, listen, uh, we couldn't have done this without all of the adversity that mm-hmm. has challenged us before. And that's, I think that's uh, an interesting statement because you wonder how motivating that was for them. 
Yeah. yeah, they talked about that all year long, that regardless of what was going on on social media outside their locker room, they sort of galvanized around this, you know, adversity. And I think I think it helped them finally no yeah. get past the semifinal. The uh, Washington Huskies waiting for us in Houston on January 8th. How do they stack up? Well, they have a good quarterback in Michael Amazing Penix Jr., arm. but not one with legs that Milrow had. So you don't have that threat. They have a really good receiver, but that Michigan defense came to play. Oh, my goodness. Where did that come from? I don't want to say anything, but I think they match up well, guy, and I think this could be a really good year. Yeah. The other thing is, is after how many timeouts was that that quarterback draw at at the end of the game from Saban? Was that's the best you got? Well, as well I was, was listening saying. to an analyst right before I went to bed last night, you know, someone who played the game. He saw it as a timing issue. That That's what I thought. That that he, he broke too early. It was if the timing was a little bit better for Alabama, he mm-hmm. had an open hole to go into the end zone. Except he had God. somebody streaking in from his blind side. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Uh, and I can't remember the player's name, but it was he didn't have the time that he thought he did to set up. It looked draw. like he ran into a big wall, it, it, so it worked yeah. out for Michigan. Yeah. yeah, and he was ticked. You could tell as he was leaving the field. But I thought, man, of all the plays to call in that moment, you had all the time to analyze and set this up. That was the best. Well, I like, had. and let me tell you, I like the way college does the overtime. Please, I mean, can we have can we something like the NFL? NFL? The one thing college does right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It's like wow. That's the way to do it. Well, we want to talk a little bit about the Lions, but we got some new laws. By the way, People Mover is free today, beginning in 2024. That takes effect today, and some new parking enforcement in the city of Detroit you need to be aware of. Basically, if you just obey all the rules, you'll be fine. Uh, well, yeah, in uh, 2023, the Democratic-led legislature, they enacted more than 320 laws, many of which take effect either uh, it, they took effect yesterday or on February 13th, included in the new laws is a raise in the Michigan minimum wage, increasing from ten ten an hour to ten thirty three. Michigan's unenforced old abortion ban will be removed from the books in twenty twenty four. Employment discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity will be outlawed. Gun control laws requiring universal background checks and safe storage will be enforced. Domestic violence offenders will be banned from having firearms for eight years after sentencing. The 4.05% income tax raising back to 4.25%. Right to work is going away. Physicians will be required to start ordering all young children to be tested for lead exposure at certain ages. Schools and child care centers will be required to install water filters to protect against lead contamination. Michigan's presidential primary is moving to an earlier date. Uh, and the lieutenant governor, the attorney general, and secretary of state and lawmakers will be required to file annual financial disclosure reports. Uh, and that, yeah, yes, our income taxes increased yesterday from 4.05% to 4.25%. Interesting. Uh, majority, uh, he's not a majority leader anymore. Yeah. <laughs> the, we, we don't know who is in the majority anymore. In no, we don't. House. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a dead heat. It's, it's uh, divided. Uh, Matt Hall says that uh, he wants to get that tax cut made permanent in this legislative year. With this divided House, good luck doing that. But that's going to be a legislative priority for the Republicans in the new year. And we're just going to have to f- see how they d- see, divide power up in well, Lansing. Well, you mentioned the they House. might share it like the olden Show days. Tate yeah. said that they're going to have those discussions in the old days. Yeah, it was a very interesting thing. They said if you're cha- you can have your the Gems are going to chair the committee this these uh, weeks. But 
um, you're going to hold the gavel. So whoever holds the gavel, the opposite party chairs the committee. So we'll see if they come up with something. As and the special election for those two open seats is like the Tuesday after the uh, the uh, our presidential primary. Yeah, we needed that extra like, expense, didn't yeah. we? And also, I'm we've sure got, everyone will come out. And we've got 13 <laughs> House seats in yes. question here in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you redraw those boundaries without screwing up all the others, the balance and all the others? So, right. And we've got a redistricting commission that I think has, what, three vacancies on it? Yeah, because they started walking. <laughs> yeah. People left and quit. Yeah. We may have greater clarity by the end of the week because there's a federal court judge is going to uh, issue some rulings on all of that. Meantime, uh, very quickly, back to the Lions. It looks like we're going to be – we have a narrow window to the second seed, but it's very narrow. Well, because of the loss in Dallas, it's looking like probably the three seed. You mean the win yeah. that was taken away from us in Dallas? Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. Okay. And we'll discuss that in detail, it seems, at 649 with Bill Keenest. Uh, but it looks like the three seed. It doesn't, to me, look like Matthew Stafford's going to come back. It could be Cowboys again or Packers. I hope it's the Cowboys. I think really? Because of all the craziness that happens when oh, we play Dallas? I'm with Lloyd. I, I, I think they're going to be so jazzed for they that won't game. Let the co- they will be on the Cowboys' neck from the first snap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, well, sh- regardless, but, this is a fantastic season. They won the division. They're hosting a playoff game. There are still great things here. This yes. could be just a little, like J.J. McCarthy said, a way to galvanize this team moving forward and I'm in the still going to need Steve Craig on Thursday when we have therapy Thursday to help me off the couch with this. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm still harboring a lot of anger. I, I see I'm, that. I'm still. <laughs> I see yeah. that. Oh, when we come back, we're going to be checking in for the first time in 2024 with our friend Mike Lee and uh, catching up on the big headlines and some of the big outlooks that they have. Uh, Crane's doing some predicting as to what we will face business-wide, business-wise, including the marijuana market and residential real estate. Perhaps some good news on both. We'll get to Mike Lee next on JR Morning. As we begin 2024, our good friends at Cranes Detroit Business have been looking ahead to the business year. Uh, Lots of question marks over what's going to happen with interest rates. And also, uh, what's going to happen with residential real estate? Whether we're going to see an expansion of the housing inventory that we have out there that has kind of strangled the market for the better part of two or three years now. Mike Lee is our good friend and managing editor of Cranes Detroit Business and brings his crystal ball with him on this second day of January 2024. Mike, good morning. Good morning, Guy. How are you? We're great. Uh, Man, it seemed like there was a lot of news breaking right at the... uh, between the holidays, and so let's get caught up on some of that. Um, we had uh, part of the Rensen sold. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the Rensen, the 500 and 600 tower of the Rensen, which are the, the two shorter buildings on the, on the east side of the, of the complex, uh, were sold to uh, Friedman Real Estate, a large local commercial uh, real estate broker and owner. Um, it's really kind of a, a, a good sign for the downtown Detroit uh, real estate market. The uh, you know they're betting on the on the future of this. They also very important, honestly. They at the same time they announced an extension of the lease for one of the towers, the entire 500 tower, with uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, um, which you know is a signal that one of downtown's largest employers is is is, is staying in uh, on the rents and and and, uh, and and in in office work down there. Um, which is 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 a real is, is a real positive sign um, that there, there have long been speculation that Blue Cross might abandon that space. 
um, which along with, you know, GM owns parts of, parts of the, the other towers. Um, GM's, you know, halting return to work uh, has, has raised questions about what the future of the whole Rensen is. So I think it's a really, it's a really positive sign for the Well, yeah, and when they return, do they return to Rensen or they return to the tech center? That's been a yeah, exactly, nagging. Exactly, exactly. They, they moved quite a few employees out there. Mike, uh, the the weed uh, market here in Michigan, the legal weed market in Michigan, it's uh, is doing pretty well. Although you seem to be getting some pushback from some cities who don't want to expand it in their area. Yeah, we looked ahead. I mean, Michigan's really, in terms of legal cannabis, of whether you know whether you're for it or against it, Michigan's one of the most dominant markets in the country. Of I think sales of three billion dollars in 2023. Uh, which I think exceeds the projections when when it was legalized. Um, for comparison, New York, which legalized weed uh, beginning, I believe, the beginning of last year, and has had kind of a very very chaotic rollout, um, had about 150 million dollars in legal sales last year. Um, very very poorly managed rollout there. Um, so it's a you know it, it was a good year for the business, even though prices were low. Um, the, uh, there, there's big changes that could be good for that industry coming. The federal government is considering rescheduling, right. uh, weed from a, from a schedule one controlled substance, which is the yeah toughest restriction there is that, that opens up all kinds of things for that industry. You know, they, they get to deduct their marketing expenses from, from their tax bill. They, uh, they, 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 they can more easily access banking services, and it, it, just, it just makes it, a, it will make it a more profitable business overnight. It is Tuesday. I know it feels like a Monday <laughs> in every cell of our body after yes, that football game. We're oh, a little drained, a little bit of rallying that needs <sighs> to go on. Uh, but on this second day of January, it is a Tuesday. That means it's time for Mobility Makers. Brought to you by Bridgestone, getting people down the road matters, but getting generations down them. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. If you tried to hunt for a vehicle in 2023, you know that finding the exact vehicle you wanted was probably a big challenge. So what will we face when we head into the dealerships in 2024? Uh, Michelle Krebs is the executive analyst for Cox Automotive, an old friend, and uh, she joins us live this morning. Michelle, good morning. Good morning and happy new year. Happy new year. How many days to retirement? Uh, <laughs> to end of March. Okay. Well, we're going to hang on to you like uh, and, and make you work for the next three months. <laughs> oh, I guess. <laughs> oh, so as you look ahead, I mean, we had the chip shortage. Then we just had some recall issues in various segments. And there were a lot of empty spaces on dealer lots in specific models. How does 2024 look in terms of filling those gaps? 2024 looks much better for consumers. Um, We have been seeing probably since summer inventory increase. Um, We anticipate that we'll be at uh, pre-pandemic levels for inventory. That's about 3 million units uh, a month out there on the lots for people to shop for in the, the height of the chip crisis, it was under a million. So there wasn't much to pick from. Um, We also expect that because that inventory will increase, that we'll start seeing um, more discounting, as you recall, during the chip 
crisis, uh, there were big markups over list price. Those are gone. Um, and so it, it'll be a much better time for uh, consumer shopping for a car. The interest rates as well um, going down will be helpful as well, I take it. Right. And uh, if they go down, you know, they have stopped increasing, it looks like, at least. Um, and, you know, with inflation uh, being a little bit more under check, uh, we are seeing still seeing household incomes uh, uh, improve and wages improve a bit. So while people will be shocked if they haven't been in the car market a while because prices are still high, um, they, the, the increases have uh, moderated. And in fact, we may see a little bit of uh, pullback on pricing. Uh, Michelle, what about the used market? It was tough to find a used vehicle just last year. Exactly. And that has that is not improving because when we don't sell a lot of new cars, as we didn't in the last few years, and also we there wasn't a lot of leasing available, and that's a great source of uh, used vehicles. So uh, we will still see a very tight um, supply of used vehicles. Michelle, a lot of us looking at the EV transition saying, look, I, I get it. We're going in that direction, but I'm not ready yet. But I might be ready for a hybrid. Will we see going down the road and in 2024 greater selection when it comes to that, especially from the American automaker? Uh, well, it, it, it's hard to say. The uh, the uh, General Motors, for instance, isn't doing hybrids. There's talk that they might. Uh, Ford is putting a uh, new emphasis on the hybrids. Uh, so we should see some, but it might take a, a bit of time. Um, you know, Toyota dominates in that, and they've done really well in um, the hybrid market. They Almost everything they have is hybrid. So uh, I, I think there is some rethinking on that, that um, that may be the stepping stone to EVs. You know, on EVs, despite all, all of the headlines, we do expect another record year in 2024 uh, for EV sales. Uh, it's just that um, production has increased uh, for EVs because everybody's in the game beyond Tesla. And um, so there's a lot more vehicles than there, there are customers for them right now. How is the demand, um, Michelle, for that F-150 Lightning truck? Uh, well, uh, Ford cut back uh, production uh, for 2024, so they're uh, clearly not expecting a strong demand. Um, you know, again, that we never really knew how the uh, electric truck market would uh, be. You know, would mm-hmm. it be would traditional truck buyers go to those, or would it be a, create a new market? And so we just we don't know how big that market is, and I'm sure Ford wasn't so sure of that either. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, you said there's going to be a lot of inventory, but does that include hybrids? What if I'm ready for a hybrid? Is there enough out there? Well, that that's going to be that, – that has been a really tight uh, part of the market. It it should improve. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, more battery production for those vehicles and uh, better production. Um, we still see shortages in, for example, Toyota, Kia, Honda – uh, tighter inventories, especially for their very, very popular hybrids. So it'll still be challenging to find them, but they're much better than it's been in the last couple of years. I don't know if you saw it, Michelle, uh, but Bloomberg had an interesting report back uh, on, on the on the 21st that, that China is going to be throttling back uh, on a range of rare earth 
metals and uh, strategic raw materials. Um, how much could that put a crimp in, in our EV transition? And is, is that, you know, we've, we've tried to onshore a lot of the battery making and things like that. Is China going to throw some sand in those gears? Oh, they absolutely could, because most of the uh, those metals, uh, if, if they aren't mined by China, they're, they're processed through China, and uh, they kind of control that. And we don't do any mining to speak of in the U.S. Yes, they're trying to in the U.S. and in Canada, but, you know, it's, it's not free-flowing yet. But, so that, that could uh, cause some uh, issues. All right. Um, is is you look ahead uh, to the vehicles that we're going to see introduced in some of we've got the cyber truck that will finally be on the market. What will the hot vehicles be? Do you see anything is breaking through? We're also going to finally get that um, lower cost uh, Chevy Equinox EV coming out. It's not going to hit the price point that they promised when they uh, you know rolled it out uh, uh, several months ago, uh, but. It, nevertheless, are we going to see some more affordable EVs hitting the market? Well, we should, but, you know, uh, General Motors has had some issues with executing. Over the holidays, they put a stop sell on the, the Blazer EV. So um, it, it, I think it all depends on execution. But we should, uh, and I would also add that we should see a lot more uh, EV incentives. They've been higher than regular incentives. Uh, and we should see some uh, price cutting and price discounting on EVs. So there may be some uh, deals out there that uh, can appeal to the mainstream yeah. buyer. And finally, Tesla is talking about maybe being able to bring a, this is incredible, a $25,000 EV to market. Is yeah, that Elon Musk uh, blowing some smoke? Uh, or is, is that something that we may see down the road as they reach scale? Well, that's the goal of, I think Volkswagen has a, a plan for that too. Um, you know, that is a, a key uh, price marker that everyone's looking at in order to get, you know, us normal Americans to buy EVs. Um, how they get there is a big question because as you point out, the precious metals are, you know, costly, uh, making batteries and are co- costly. We just don't have all of the infrastructure in place yeah. yet. So um, we'll see. Yeah, the, the other part of it is, it. too, for, for just the overall automakers, is how will consumers feel heading into the new year? There's a new term I heard coined between holidays, feelonomics, mm-hmm. you know, that you may see employment uh, in, in record territory. You may see interest rates falling. You may see gas now at, at, a, at a low here mm-hmm. in the state of Michigan, yeah. down another, I think, down uh, more than 30 cents from this time last year. But people aren't feeling it. If they aren't feeling it, they may not buy a car. And so that's a big question mark going forward, too. But we will explore that at a different time. Michelle, thank you so much. Have a great new year. Thank you. You, too. All right. When we come back, Bill Keenest, former vice president of the Detroit Lions, going to take us inside. What happens in those meetings when the head coach tells the officiating crews, hey, we're going to be doing this in this situation? And what options do the Lions have to protest the blown call in the Dallas game. That's next on JR Morning coming up at 649. Well, it was a painful end to the Detroit Lions game with the Dallas Cowboys as their two-point conversion was called back illegal touching. 
Oh, my dad had that conversation with me when I was <laughs> when you were going to school. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, my goodness. And it was a play that we found in the press conference afterwards that Dan Campbell had laid out for the officiating crew. Certainly all the video seems to point that uh, that uh, Taylor Decker did report in as eligible as required. So what the heck happened? And what appeal, if any, does the Detroit Lions have. Uh, we welcome Bill Keenis, an old friend, former vice president of public relations for the Detroit Lions for 32 years and host of WJR's Gridiron Wrap on Sundays at 7. Bill, good morning. Good morning, Guy, and happy uh, belated New Year to each of you. And to you. So I got to say, with <laughs> your with your perspective, your historical perspective, yeah. when you watch this called back, how looming a sense of deja vu did you have? Well, <laughs> I, I may have used that phrase a few times, quite frankly. Um, certainly, uh, with it being in Dallas, the, the 2014 playoff game brought back a lot of uh, memories. And, and there have been others, uh, as we know. But it was, uh, I'll tell you what my, my immediate reaction as everything unfolded was, Ben Johnson is a savant. I mean, that was one of the most amazing plays I think any of us have ever seen. And the way he set it up, and I I do believe that throughout the game, uh, you set those plays up uh, for them to work one time in the most important part of the game. And uh, and it was just brilliant. And, And maybe as everything's being digested, it was too brilliant. Because, uh, you know, did it work? Yeah, but maybe too well. Yeah, but that's the argument. Hi, Bill. It's Jamie. That's the argument some people are making, that it was too, you know, confusing even for the referee. Mm -hmm. Taylor Decker, with his big number 68, (laughs) talked to the official and said, I'm reporting. This is on the official, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's that's obviously the, the sentiment that's out there. And um, I know that uh, there is uh, some reports that it was uh, it was so impactful what Taylor did and Panay Sewell did, and then with Dan Skipper, you know, running on, uh, you know, toward the end of that sequence, and and Dan had actually reported eligible a number of times during the game, which I take is just making the play even more brilliant. Um, but uh, unfortunately. Uh, the the penalty was called. It it you know threw all Lions fans in a in a fury, predictably and understandably. But may, maybe maybe there's a uh, you know another ending to this story. You know the there's a good chance, or at least a chance, that the Lions will play Dallas in a playoff game, perhaps. Well, I'm and, hoping so. Uh, in the way Dan reacted and some of the players reacted, Aiden Hutchinson in particular, uh, about getting another chance to play the Cowboys, uh, that could be some real poetic justice. Bill, we know how um, you know, uh, Dan is when he calls these plays. You know, he goes mm-hmm. for it on fourth down all right. the time. Everybody expects that. But you got people on either side saying, okay, yeah, the two-point, we could have won. That, but, yeah. you know, after about three chances, maybe just kick the field goal, tie it up, and go yeah. out of overtime. Your thoughts on that? Well, I wonder how many uh, Michigan sports fans, uh, Wolverine and Lions, watching the, the U of M game last night thought the same thing. What's Jim Harbaugh going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but Dan Campbell is who he is. 
and that's the beauty of it. And the players know that. And, and he apparently told the team, look, when we get this ball for the last drive, we're going to go down there. We're going to score a touchdown. We're going to go for two and win the game. And players love that type of head coach. And he's been consistent from day one. Um, I mean, with a, with a trick play earlier in the game on the punt, I mean, teams probably look at Dan and the Lions as one of the most um, innovative offensively, but certainly one of the most daring. So I think, you know, it, the the odds were less and less with each uh, failed three-point attempt, if you or two-point attempt, if you will, there being three of them. But that's Dan, and I, you know, you accept him for what he is, and, and the fans know it, the players know it, and that's the most important thing. Bill, i got to ask you about the national reaction to all of this. Because mm-hmm. 10 years ago, if this had happened, the, the social media and the national reaction would have been, yeah, but the Lions blew it on the extra point, or the, <laughs> yeah, the Lions blew yeah. it earlier. The reaction after this, both on ESPN and Rex Ryan mm-hmm. going on a rant, and the social media buzz was, the Lions got jobbed. It's crazy how people have kind of glommed onto this team and are now willing to take up our our defense in something well, like this. Well, now they're watching, and so now they're like, hey, yeah, that wasn't right. Before, like in 2014, Bill, people are just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I, I think, I think, Guy, you're absolutely right, and and I responded to a few, t- to a few friends. Uh, America's team lost Saturday night. It was, you know, the Lions have in many ways, in many respects, become America's team, mm-hmm. and I think it perhaps started with, the hard knocks with uh, Dan exposing his rawness, his realness to the country, and people love that. And then just the way he's been and, and his human reaction uh, after the game Saturday, along with the players, was so real, and people can relate to that. And, uh, you know, football fans love that. They love a coach that has passion and emotion. And I think it's representative of the city and our state, you know, hardcore, blue-collar, grit, all those those terms that in the past might not have been as real as they are now, but they're certainly real now with, with Dan Campbell and with his team. Uh, just with your perspective for how long you've worked mm-hmm. with the Lions, how big of a deal mm-hmm. is it that they won the division? Oh, it's huge. I mean, <laughs> I remember vividly I was with the team in, in 1993 when uh, Eric Kramer, our quarterback, led us to a division title. And there's no one alive, let alone any Lion fan, that thought it would uh, take another 30 years to accomplish that. But I think it's it, it's amazing. It's only taken three years for Dan and Brad Holmes to accomplish this. And winning the division is always the first step because it guarantees you, it guarantees this team something that we've never seen before. And that's a home game at Ford Field, which is, at least from my perspective, I think home field advantage in the NFL, NFL in general, and in the playoffs in particular is so impactful, more, more, more important perhaps than any other sport. Hmm. So at least one home game is huge. And uh, it's it's an amazing accomplishment. Bill, how bad is it going to be for Minnesota next week? They're going to get it. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Uh, that's a great observation, Lloyd. Uh, I think the fans are going to um, uh, they're going to you know probably exude some frustration as well. But you love it. 
you love a passionate fan base and there's no fan base in the country more passionate than the Lions fan base. And that's always been the case. So I think the Vikings are in for something. It'll be interesting to see because obviously from all accounts, the Lions uh, can't improve their, their position in the, uh, in the playoff order of things. So, uh, and Minnesota has a very, very slight chance of, uh, of, of making it, which yeah. is unrealistic. So Dan has said, Coach Campbell has said he's going to play the starter. So we'll see how long they, they do play. But yeah, I think, uh, I think Fortfield will be hopping, uh, next Sunday and, uh, e- even more so, obviously, for the playoff game. Very quickly, Bill, just seconds left. Is there any appeal left for for the Lions president? What can he do? My wife wants to take this to the Supreme Court. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, God bless her. God bless her. That's awesome. But uh, I think it's more procedural at this point. I mean, you know, Dan, and he made a great point. Uh, Unfortunately, he was with New Orleans when they had the the controversial call in the uh, championship game years ago against the Rams when the Rams went to the Super Bowl the first time. So he's been through it, and his approach is excellent because the most important thing is for the players to move on. Right. Um, and, and, and sort of like, I think, what, what, what Michigan did throughout this year, even going back to last year, these, these uh, setbacks, these hurdles, these issues galvanized the team. And I, that's what I think Dan is doing with, with the Lions. He's yeah. done a great job. And one thing, you know, that the players know that it's it's the playoffs, really. I mean, that they're most important. And uh, and I think Dan will use this as a, as a motivator. I don't okay. want to say a positive. It's hard to use that phrase describing what happened. But but certainly I think uh, Dan will approach we, it the right way. We will try to get over on. it. Bill Keenest, we will try. May, you, I'm sure you've got life skills I don't even have but uh, <laughs> to, to get over this. We thank you for your insights, my friend. Enjoy the playoffs. We look forward to future conversations. Likewise to everyone. Thank you, Guy. Happy New Year. When you see the video, uh, 2024 has had its first miracle. This uh, Japanese plane collision on the runway at Tokyo Airport where a commercial airliner, a Japanese airliner with 365 uh, plus passengers on board, uh, hits a Coast Guard plane, turns the, the Coast Guard plane into a fireball, and then interrupts, and yet somehow all were evacuated safely. That's a, that is a miracle. Yeah. It, when you see this video. it I mean, that plane was fully engulfed yes. in flames. By the time it came to arrest, yes, the fire crews all answered it. Uh, but they could only evacuate, it looked like, from the, the right side of the plane. That's right. Because yeah. the left side was totally was, aflame. That's it. So, um, my goodness, uh, thank the Lord and everybody that was at work there. But, boy, Japan has already had a very rough start. They're dealing with this earthquake, year. this horrible uh, 7.5 magnitude earthquake. 40-plus dead. Uh, it, there was a, a the shot of a, a plaza that almost looked like a, a wafer or something that had just been cracked up and put on someone's cereal. Yeah. You know, it was it just crazy. In the meantime, here in the state of Michigan. Three Michigan tight ends in the ballgame. They handed to Corey McGann and makes a cut. First down. Spinston scores. Blake Corey puts Michigan on top in overtime. And then an amazing defensive stand. 
uh, the part of the Wolverine. So, yes, in Michigan, everything's coming up roses so far <laughs> in 2024. The granddaddy of them all, as they say, Michigan. What a game, even if you weren't a Michigan fan or a Crimson Tide fan. That was just fun to watch. It was. And they beat Alabama when Michigan had no offense going really in the second half. And then they get these chunk plays in the 75-yard series to get down to tie the game. Then in overtime, they get the ball, no problem, two snaps, Blake Corum's in. Amazing. And then the defense comes up big. How about J.J. McCarthy? We talked about his heroics. He was 17 for 27, 221 yards, three touchdowns. Quorum's the all-time leader at Michigan now with with uh, rushing touchdowns. And it's just, you're right, everything's coming up maize and blue. Harbaugh talked about the bond of this team. It's a togetherness. I mean, they're, I don't think anybody can, we're so together, so connected. And uh, we were going to overcome anything that was inside this stadium. And they did. It didn't look good there in the <laughs> no, third quarter. And they overcame a lot of stuff just through the the year, the the year with them. I mean, there's a lot of things going on at U of M and they those those guys played through it and they played for coach and they did a great job. Yeah, and Harbaugh is a model of consistency if nothing else. In the post game interview, as they're giving him the trophy, they ask him, So what changed in the second half? Totally blows off the question. That's exactly what I said to my husband when we were watching it. They asked him what changed, what happened with his you know, really ballsy decision to yeah. go for it on fourth down. He's just like, who has it better than us? You know, like, you didn't <laughs> yeah, answer like I'm going to totally ignore you. <laughs> yes. Who answers your questions? Nobody. But <laughs> in that drive, if he goes for it and misses on fourth and two, I mean, I think the game's over, over there. Yeah. So he had a little Dan Campbell in him there. Well, you wonder if, if, if the Campbell influence is infectious in other parts of, of the sports world. Possible. His everything about Dan Campbell's infectious. I think is Jim Harbaugh paying attention. I don't know. The the entertainment index is off the charts when you watch the Lions. Yeah, and and that's what you know he's bringing to the sports. It is a business. He's made it a better business. Yeah. Well, and the analytics say go for it. Yeah. So, but anyway, congratulations to the Michigan Wolverines. They will play Washington on Monday night. Michael Penix Jr., who they know from the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a good game. I think Michigan stacks up well. Yeah. In the meantime, somebody is going to be celebrating and up near Grand Blackway. Yeah, what a great new year. This has started off to be from a, for a lucky person or persons in uh, Michigan. The winning ticket for one of the largest Powerball jackpots in the game's history was bought in Michigan yesterday. The ticket worth 842 Point four million dollars, four hundred twenty-five million is the cash. If you take the lump sum, uh, just a mere before taxes. Yeah, it was purchased at the Food Castle in Grand Blanc. That's oh, just south my of goodness. Flint. And uh, the winning numbers: twelve, twenty-one, forty-two, forty-four, forty-nine. And the Powerball was one. Uh, the uh, there have been thirty-four consecutive Powerball drawings without a jackpot. There was one ticket in Florida. Texas got some as well. What do I always say? Don't I always say it's, it's always winners in Texas, New York? Perhaps Florida, they play and, more though. You know, well, they're you know a lot of they're bigger too, and I'm, I'm sure population. You know, yeah, yeah, California, Connecticut, Florida, Maryland, they all got a million bucks, but we got the big one. Someone here. just went to the food castle. And was yeah. like, you know what? I'm gonna test my luck. You know, I'm in here buying groceries <laughs> that are too high. I could, you know, I could barely afford them, but I'll just buy a ticket. Yeah. Wow. What a great new year yeah. for that person.
Uh, if you are riding the People Mover, you're going to get a little gift from the city of Detroit. No fare beginning today. Also, uh, you do want to have your guard up if you're going to be parking in one of the new residential parking zones in Detroit. Um, this the, Today, it's the Cass Park and Sullivan zones, which will see uh, greater enforcement all in an attempt to make sure that Residential folks can park in their own yeah. neighborhoods. Yeah, that's and that's a, that'll be a good thing for them. Uh, so as long as you obey the signs, everybody's going to be. Okay. And people who have you know who live around stadiums in other cities, they they know about this and it's been done there. So they're doing it here. I mean, you know, you live in these townhouses yeah. around stadiums. You can't park there when you, you know, and there's no driveways. You got to park on the street. Yeah. Meantime, Michigan State uh, a report over the past couple of days suggesting that the leak of uh, Brenda Tracy's name and the Mel Tucker controversy did not come from the Board of Trustees. And yet, that's if you read the yeah. print, that's not what it really says. Well, that's what the um, headline is, right? Uh, but they're unable to find the source of the leaks. They're talking about this outside law firm hired by the school. They conclude they that no university officials were responsible for leaking those details. But investigators said one member of the university's board of trustees wouldn't cooperate with their inquiry and withheld relevant information. They also said a subsequent email in the case was indeed leaked by someone in a small circle of high-ranking officials. So it's kind of confusing. Where did it come from, then, guy? Yeah. Well, and uh, tell us if you've got. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, first of all. I question whether there was actually a leak You've been saying this all. so long. Yeah. You know, they, she claims that she got a call from the folks at USA Today saying, well, we're hearing that other media know about this. So she kind of gave up the ghost. So then she goes, well, then I could. You have permission yeah. to publish. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm just saying I, I, I would like to see greater confirmation of that. And just because That's you can't we confirm it doesn't mean it didn't happen. That's what this outside firm was supposed to figure out. And yeah, we have no at, more answers. At great, ex, right. at great expense. Yeah. 713 on Newstalk 760. Uh, WJR's Business Beat. Let's uh, check in with Jeff Sloan for the first time in 2024. Founder and CEO of Startup Nation to spotlight the entrepreneurial tech and startup community on WJR. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Guy. For those of us who are parents to teenage kids, most of us find ourselves constantly battling with the challenge of losing our kids to social media. And now a new report from Pew Research Center, Teen Social Media and Technology 2023, makes clear that almost half of U.S. teens are using social media, as they put it, almost constantly. Specifics from the report are as follows. First, while almost all teens have equal access to smartphones now, over half of Hispanic, 55%, and black, 54% teens are using the Internet almost constantly compared to 38% of white teens. 66% of teen girls use Instagram, as they put it, almost constantly, as they do TikTok as well. Teen boys, however, they're more likely to use Twitch or Discord. Now, it's YouTube, however, that reigns supreme amongst teens, with roughly 90% of teens saying they use the video-sharing platform almost constantly. YouTube also ranked as the most visited social media app by teens as well. And how about this stat? Roughly 70% of teens are visiting YouTube every day. Of course, these statistics on social media usage by teens are relevant to the interests of businesses, especially those catering to a younger demographic, However, there's a more important point here, and that is the overwhelming and all-consuming nature of how social media has hijacked our kids' hearts and minds 
certainly their attention, and have made this the world in which they now live. Of course, this has raised all sorts of mental health concerns about the potential threats social media is posing to kids. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, and that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. Chaos, discord, you can hang whatever label you want on it, but the state Republican Party is in some real trouble heading into a crucial election year, both financially and also spiritually. Uh, They just aren't on the same page. And uh, yes, there are some ways around that for candidates, uh, but going forward, there are some real question marks hanging over uh, the GOP. Craig Mauger, state government and politics reporter for the Detroit News, covering it all for us. Craig, good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. So we know that we've seen uh, some very critical county chairs lining up against uh, Chairwoman Christina Caramo. There was supposed to be this this meeting on the 27th, perhaps a vote to ouster. Uh, while we were all engaged in other things, what happened? Well, there's been more discord. Like you mentioned coming into this interview, there have been eight of the 13 congressional district chairs have now called for her resignation. These calls for her to step down are increasing. She says she will not step down. And then the latest news is coming up in the next few days, this group that's trying to oust Christina Caramo is saying that they're going to hold a meeting on January 6th, this Saturday, and on their agenda is discussing removing Christina Caramo and other members of her leadership team. From what I've been able to gather so far, Caramo's team is not recognizing this as a legitimate meeting and planning their own meeting for January 13th. So we're going to have dueling meetings right now. And there's a real chance that this all ends up in the courts and, and some judge is going to have to decide what happens. And, and now we are in 2024, a presidential election year. Uh, Craig, the the co-chair also of the GOP, the state GOP, she's asking for it to go as well. I mean, you know, she ran alongside her. Uh, You know, she she didn't think that that was a problem then (laughs) that it became a problem now. I mean, that's just a stunning. It's one of those details where if you're just kind of listening to this conversation, you don't follow politics that closely. You might say, why does it matter what this co-chair person thinks? I, I don't know anything about this co-chair. But literally, this is the person that was Christina Caramo's running mate. Mm-hmm. This would be like the vice president coming out of our country and saying, hey, the president needs to step down. I mean, this is this person supposed to be their top teammate. And here you have Melinda Pego, her co-chair, coming out publicly and calling for a meeting to discuss Christina Caramo's ouster. That's how bad this has gotten for Christina Caramo. She's less than a year into her tenure as the chair of the state Republican Party, and she's dealing with just um, utter mutiny among everyone, uh, among a large portion of the top Republicans in the state. Craig, in an election year, you kind of need a unified party moving forward. They do not have that. Um, Is there a world in which Caramo's like, look, for the good of the party, let me step down? No, I mean, she told our columnist, Caitlin Buss, that she's not going to resign. If you know Christina Caramo, that doesn't really seem to line up with who she is and how she operates. She She's someone that uh, refused to concede a 14-point loss for Secretary of State. I mean, that's just unheard of. You know, she's not going to relent on her position. I, I, I don't think that she will resign. It's going to come down to, you know, a few potential outcomes here either somehow her opponents are able to vote her out which 
is going to be difficult when she's not when she's not recognizing their meeting. Um, maybe she holds on to power, and and it's possible that she holds on to power despite all of this, and the Republicans still get wins in November. I mean, that's a real possibility here, and maybe the Republican Party at the state level in Michigan has little role in that, but she would still get credit for some of that victory. Look at the, what the finances right now are over the Republican Party, at least as best as we can divine them based on the limited information Karamo is putting out there. How close are they to bankruptcy? And I guess the other piece of that is if she was forced to step down, does that mean a return to establishment party control? Or is that a pipe dream for those that are looking for a hard reset and a return to what they believe would be a pre-Trump normal? I think it would be very difficult for the establishment wing of the party to take over again. I mean, the the delegates, the state committee, those people are not aligned with the establishment wing of the party. I think it's more likely that that possibly someone who is at least willing to work with the establishment uh, gets put in as chair if there's some vacancy. I mean, that's what's happening right now is Karamo is not just anti-establishment. She is just her her and her team are criticizing them openly on a weekly basis. I mean, she has filed a lawsuit against a group of former party chairs trying to sell the former party headquarters, and in the lawsuit is criticizing the former party chairs up and down. And if you know anything about the state Republican Party, the former party chairs are a lot of the biggest donors to the party. You have people like Ron Weiser, Bobby Shostak. Betsy DeVos, when you're criticizing those people, where's your funding going to come from? I mean, these, a small group of people have been the main primary funders of this party for a long time. And when you're, uh, you know, at odds with them, you're, you're causing yourself a major problem uh, with the dollars that you need to fundraise. Craig, are you saying that if uh, Karamo holds on to her position and um, there are some wins in the fall that all th- everything will be forgiven? <laughs> I don't think everything will be forgiven, but there's a real chance if the Republicans do well in November that Christina Caramo comes out looking pretty good in this, at least from a national perspective, because that's what politics is at the end of the day. It's a wins and losses game. If your party wins while you're the party chair, you usually get elevated. You usually get credit. If your party loses when you're the party chair, uh, you usually get tossed out and you usually get criticized. So if somehow, you know, the Republicans are able to win back the White House, if the Republicans are able to flip the state house, those are going to be the two big questions in November 2024. If the GOP does that and Karamo remains the party chair, she will get credit. I mean, I, I think she will be able to go to the delegates and say, hey, all of these individuals criticized me. They were out to get me the whole time. And still, I delivered victories that we have not as a party, she'll be able to tell them. The party has not been able to win statewide. The party has suffered a string of major losses statewide. And I changed that. That's what she could say. I mean, that will be an argument that will resonate with a lot of delegates, I suspect. Craig, there's an open U.S. Senate seat. What role will, will the party have there? You know, in normal times, the party would be a conduit for dollars to flow into that race. The party would help criticize the Democratic candidates in that race and really set kind of the messaging tone for for the campaign. 
Um, it doesn't really appear that the Michigan Republican Party is going to be able to do that. I mean, the, the party is, spends more time criticizing the media than it does trying to talk to the media about it, what its message is. And on top of that, I, I mean, I don't know how willing the national Republicans will be to send money to the Michigan Republican Party when they're in an active lawsuit with not only the former party chairs uh, in trying to sell this former building, but the Michigan Republican Party also sued Comerica Bank, which the party owes you know, more than $500,000 from its past line of credit. And, and as was referenced earlier, it's a bit unclear what will happen with the party financially. So if you're some national group that wants to get involved in this U.S. Senate race, I think you would be very hesitant to send money to the Michigan Republican Party. Uh, the legislature, we've only got 60 seconds left, returns on the 10th. Uh, it will be evenly divided in the House. Do we have yet any idea on how they will share power? <laughs> it's going to be tenuous. <laughs> That's all I can say in 60 seconds. I think it's going to be difficult for Democrats to continue at the pace that's now expected of them from their Democratic you know, supporters. And for Republicans, you're essentially asking this House Republican caucus to stay united in order to block anything. And that's going to be a challenge as well. It's going to be really dramatic politics. Yeah. Plus, uh, and we should invite people to read uh, your colleague Beth LeBlanc's coverage of the UIA, yet another damaging and damning audit from the state auditor general some of it we already knew about but perhaps as many as uh, 200 million dollars in fraudulent payments paid out over the past uh three years craig it's going to be a busy one we thank you for joining us thank you happy new year going to be a chilly one at the bus stop uh, when you factor in the winds it's going to be about mid-20s out there for uh, the kids as they head back to school and everybody else heading back to work welcome to 2024 and we wish you uh, a belated happy new year but it is heartfelt the athletic uh, on its x feed twitter x feed uh has an instagram post nick roddy dug this up chase <laughs> winovich the line former linebackers coach uh posting a, a, a narrative the Connor Stallions had some great seats at the Rose Bowl. It's a shot of uh, Stallions looking over his shoulder with some roses uh, on his Michigan hoodie. Uh, it's he's also in the second row. It looks like that's what I'm saying. Like. Some great, great seats. By the way, have you seen what the seats are running for the national championship? Twenty five hundred dollars minimum. Four thousand dollars if you look a little at the lower bowl. Uh, that's that's a ton. So, like, regular people can't go see their team? That would be it. And the flight out to Houston, if you look at, uh, if you were to jump on the Delta app right now, somewhere around 2400 bucks round trip. Oh. If you want to go out the day before the game and come home the day after the game. Uh, back to this fine, Nick. I think it's him. I mean, yeah, he didn't do sure anything him. criminally wrong. He's yeah. allowed to do what he wants. Yeah. 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 He doesn't have the stash anymore. We know he's a, yeah, or we know he's a big Michigan fan. We sure so. know that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, you know, my my skepticism meter is the needle is already well bent. Guy thinks this is photoshopped. <laughs> I think, I think I, it's real. Well, it's well done. It's you know, AI has made it. Well, yeah. A skeptic out of me. Yeah. Uh, so have the NFL officiating crews. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're trying to have it both ways. They're trying to say it was the Lions' fault for being too razzle-dazzle. And then we've got the report from Adam Sheffield saying uh, they're talking about demoting the crew. <laughs> you can't have it both ways. Can't wait to talk to our buddy Lomas Brown, color analyst for the Detroit Lions Radio Network and host of WJR Sports Wrap.
uh, at 6 p.m. every evening here on AM 760. Loomis, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Happy 2024. Happy New Year. And to you. Yeah. So my hair's still on fire. How about yours? <laughs> Man, I don't have much up there, guys, but it's on fire. <laughs> the little bit that I have left, it's on fire, and it's been on fire for a couple of days, too. I'm trying to extinguish it, but it won't, it won't go out. It won't go out. Lomas, how much would it really have changed? Would it have made them the second seed? I mean, that is a big deal. Jamie, a huge deal. I mean, a huge deal if you think about it. Um, Man, the NFL, man, they should, first of all, they should be ashamed of themselves. I say they should be ashamed of themselves because, one, like I was telling Nick, you you got referees. Uh, refing multi-million dollar athletes and refereeing a multi-billion dollar business and these guys aren't full-time. It it just doesn't make any sense to me how you have these guys so responsible for all this but yet still they're not full-time. It it, it just is senseless to me. And then you have things that come up like what happened to us. I mean, and I also told Nick that you better get ready. We're going to have another rule. It'll be another Detroit Lions. Uh-huh. Yep. Calvin Johnson created yep. the catch. This is going to be another rule where they're going to tell uh, officials, going to tell teams, you can't run more than one player up to me at a time. It's just, it's crazy. And it always hurts us, the citizens of Detroit, of Michigan, and our beloved football team. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Lomas, how bad do the do the players want to just you know win out now and get back to Dallas and play them again? Man, I know they do. I, Lord, I know they want to get back there because they beat those guys. I mean, you if you think about it, we won that game, um, and those guys won it on the field, and that's where it hurts you as a player when you go out there for sixty minutes and give it your all. And it's taken out of your control. You know, it's taken out, uh, you know, the victory snatched away from you, not by something you did on the field, but by somebody else. And that's what hurts you the most because you go out there and you lay it all out on the line for 60 minutes. You expect, you know, for the outcome to be determined on the field. You don't expect it to be determined by somebody wearing stripes or somebody that wasn't really, uh, you know, associated with uh, playing on that field. So it, it's just disappointing. I know those guys are ready to get back at it. Uh, Dan Campbell was so mad. He crinkled that paper that was handed to him in the post-game press what conference. What was on that paper, Lomas? <laughs> Do we know? Was was, really was that an admonition know. from the PR department saying, Dan, keep your cool? <laughs> yeah, hey, it probably was some choice words on there that Dan couldn't repeat on the air. So he probably balled it up. Because you don't want to get fired. Basically, almost anything that the coaching staff or any players say now is so scrutinized that you're going to get fined over saying this. So I don't blame him, man. You're going to lose the game and lose your money? Nah, that's not a good combination. (laughs) So, okay, they have to move forward. They have the final game of the regular season. Um, Do you think they'll play their starters very much? It looks like they're probably locked into the three seed. Yeah, Jamie, so that's a great question because you have to have balance. So 
I'm saying that because, okay, we know a couple of guys, Sam Laporta, we know J-Mo got banged up a little bit in the game. Of course, guys are tired. Their bodies are somewhat beat up because of where we're at in the season right now. But you kind of have to weigh that with momentum. You kind of have to weigh that with chemistry that you have going on. Don't forget, if CJ is able to come back, he has to get practice. He needs to get kind of incorporated back into game speed. I mean, this guy has missed pretty much the whole season. So it's going to be hard for him to come back, say, the playoff game and be real, real impactful, I think. Um, you know, and then you got young guys. We got a whole bunch of first, second, third-year guys on the team that's never experienced playoff ball. So you kind of want to kind of keep the momentum going. You don't want to kind of pull these guys and take all the momentum away. So it's a fine balance that Dan, uh, the coaching staff, and the uh, front office, they're going to have to determine just how much they want to play these guys. So the, the latest speculation is, assuming that the, uh, that the Rams uh, lose to San Francisco and the Bears, uh, Packers beat the Bears, Green Bay, would be the number six seed and would head to Ford Field. Uh, right now, if uh, if all things remain the same, it would be the Rams coming. Who would you rather face, the Packers or the Rams at this point? Oh, give me Jordan Love and the Packers all day long. I do not want to see Matthew Stafford back here. <laughs> I don't want to see a motivated, hungry Matthew Stafford back here. That team has been playing good. They got a running game. They got receivers. Uh, they got a defense over there, and they got an innovative coach too. That when he's given time, he's proven that he can win Super Bowls. You got Matthew Stafford coming back to, to uh, Ford Field as a Super Bowl champion. You know, it's a whole different swagger as a quarterback when you come back as a Super Bowl champion. So, no, give me Jordan Love all day long. Yeah, we would have to point out the Rams would have to beat the Niners in order to make that happen. That's probably not going to happen yeah. unless yeah. the Niners <laughs> don't play their starters. There you go, Jamie. Yeah. Hey, best team on game day. And yeah. I'm telling you, Matthew is playing at a high level, so you just never know. Injuries. Remember last year what happened to uh, mm-hmm. San Francisco? They got all the quarterbacks hurt. You know, so you just never, never know what can happen throughout the course of a game or a season. You know what? Jordan Love is pretty hot right now, too. 30 touchdowns this year. 3,843 yards. Get pressure on him, Jamie. I would pressure him as soon as he steps off the bus. In the tunnel, <laughs> I'll start pressuring him right there, Jamie. I'm sending guys at him right in the tunnel. He's <laughs> a right. young guy. He's never been in this situation before. <laughs> and finally, Lomas, before we let you go, who do you like in next Monday's game, Wolverines against the Huskies? Hey, maize and blue, baby. Hey, I, they, look, they, they looked good last night because that was a tough game. They beat a great Alabama team. They may not have been great this year, but you know Alabama carries that legacy with them, and you have to get over that too. I thought it was a great win for Michigan last night. And hey, I, they might as well go ahead and clinch this thing. One more to go, baby. One, One more. more. Go Blue and go Lions. Lomas, have yeah, a great week. We look forward to uh, taking down those Vikings. Absolutely. You guys take care. Happy. 
and happy new year to you. When we come back, John U. Bacon, New York Times bestselling author on Michigan football, his take on what January 8th might look like, the uh, the game, and also Jim Harbaugh's future. That is just ahead at 749. You know, I hear all the time from the Inside Outside guys about how in-home air quality can really affect your health. And during the winter months, it is really even more true. Now, I ran into my friends from CNC Heating and Air Conditioning the other week, and it got me to thinking uh, to check my home's air filter and to make sure that it's updated because it helps us breathe better, takes a lot of those nasty things out of the year, decreases dust. And did you know, for 75 years, the Koreans, wonderful family, have owned CNC Heating and Air Conditioning and has become one of Michigan's most trusted heating and cooling companies. So, yes, we want you to stay warm, cozy, and safe during the cold weather months, but we also want you to stay healthy, and that means getting your furnace tuned up. And also take advantage of the CNC Heating and Air Conditioning Carrier Cool Cash Savings Promotion right now if you need a new carrier furnace. Call CNC Heating and Air Conditioning, 800-MY-FURNACE. That's 800-693-8762. Get a free 21-point comfort survey. And if needed, you can get installation of that new carrier heating and cooling system tomorrow so check your filters check your system and if you need a new one we'll have that for you tomorrow cncheat.com that's cncheat.com carrier turn to the experts love michigan nation love all you yeah i'm just having the time of my life right now take me through that fourth quarter and that overtime all right just always staying in the moment, you know, not getting in our head too much, thinking about what could happen. It's just focusing on our alignment assignment and executing the play. You're going to play for a national championship. Yeah. We are, but we got to enjoy this one first. <laughs> and enjoy it, they did. That was a post game uh, with WDIV's uh, Hobie catching up with J.J. McCarthy uh, after that amazing game. Uh, no one has watched this team and uh, this program more closely than John U. Baker, the New York Times bestselling author. And John joins us live this morning. Happy New Year, John. Thank you, guys. And to you. Any surprises coming out of yesterday's game, or did it go pretty much the way you thought? The defensive <laughs> intensity on the part of Michigan was maybe a, a nice surprise for me. Maybe you anticipated that. Uh, I anticipated no such thing, Guy. I can tell you that uh, the game was almost entirely surprises, including the mistakes. It was not a pretty or flawless game by either team, obviously. But, man, as far as intensity goes and big plays, that game certainly delivered. And I have to believe the national TV crowd was not switching channels. But I have to get you – I mean, Michigan was an underdog against Alabama, a team with one loss, uh, close scare versus a so-so Auburn team. It's not one of the most dominant Alabama teams. Uh, but Michigan did not get pushed around, and SEC usually has bigger, faster players, and the physical difference, I thought, was negligible, if not favoring Michigan. That was probably the biggest surprise for me. Um, John, I know uh, Jim Harbaugh said that his future consists of the happy flight back to Ann Arbor. Uh, uh -huh. If he wins, if they win the national championship next Monday, does he say, okay, I've done my deal, I've done what I came here to do, and so I'm ready maybe for an NFL job now? Or does he stay? Well, Lloyd, here's where I have to revert to the great uh, Bill Goldman, by the way, the famous uh, writer who did the Princess, Di Princess Bride and uh, Rich Cassidy. Nobody knows anything, and that's where we stand right now. A month ago, I would have given it 95% that Harbaugh returns. I uh, just waiting on a contract from uh, Michigan. Uh, the contract has gone back and forth. The issue is not money. Uh, Michigan's certainly prepared to write a very big check there. 
it's about all the clauses and really it's about the relationship between Ward Manuel, the athletic director and Jim Harbaugh, which is not a great one. Um, the San Diego, whoops, sorry, the LA Chargers, of course, um, with Spanos, uh, the family there, they're gonna come after Harbaugh very hard. It's about a toss up and it depends more on how Michigan handles it than on, I think the NFL, that's my take at this stage. I don't know if the national title game would have much bearing either way uh, on Harbaugh staying or going. Uh, I can make an argument both ways, perhaps unfinished business versus, um, hey, you did it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, I got to call it a toss up. Inconceivable. It's a little Princess Bride reference for you. <laughs> well done, Jamie. <laughs> well done. Inconceivable, yeah. John. My name is Inigo Montoya. Oh, my God. I love that movie. But let's focus. Um, that word does not mean what you think it means. Yeah. My face. <laughs> uh, John, I was following you on Twitter as I was following the game. And when they were down four, you said they created most of their problems. They dropped a punt, missed PAT, field goal, missed targets, dropped passes, stuff they hadn't done all season, and then they go on to still beat Alabama. I think that bodes well for them playing a Washington team. I think you're right. You can make a pretty good case this, that that was not Michigan's best game for the reasons that uh, you cited me citing, I guess. Uh, yeah, if Michigan had lost that game, you can point to a half dozen uh, self-inflicted errors, not the kind that happened just because you're playing Alabama. Uh, but yeah, the drop punt, the drop passes, et cetera, et cetera. Some uh, penalties that had no bearing on the play that you know, they obviously screwed up. So if Michigan has more in the tank, that certainly bodes well, as you say, for the Washington game. But having seen the Washington game, of course, versus Texas, guess what? That's a real team, too. So that should be a heavyweight title match. Do you think this game will be more like, um, will we see that withering uh, defensive uh, rush that we saw from the Wolverines against Alabama? Or do you think it's going to be more of a shootout? Well, certainly the Pac-12 style, if there's a, it's got two days left, right? In the Pac-12 style, I got to remember that. The, the league is about to disband. More offense than defense, of course, more shootout, as you suggest, Guy. But what what really impressed me in the Michigan game was how the Michigan defensive line got to uh, Milrow, the Alabama quarterback. Yeah. Um, I got to believe Michigan wants to play that game in the trenches. And I think with the best quarterback in the country, Phoenix, for uh, Washington, they want to play it in the air. So I think the battle is going to be who determines where the game is played. I think it's interesting that Washington's coming over to the Big Ten and they'll just see them again next season. <laughs> it's, yeah the yankees are playing the dodgers in the world series and next year by the way it's the first series right yeah, exactly what's up with this so uh with everything going on with uh jim harbaugh and the ncaa coming out this has been said on social media i'm not the debbie downer here but could anything be vacated it's all possible and that's uh looking at it objectively that's certainly the case the investigation by the ncaa is not over. The Big Ten is over. That resulted in three-game suspension for Jim Harbaugh. And look, you want to bet on what the NCAA was going to find and what they're going to do about it. Uh, that's not a bet I'm ever comfortable making. So anything is still possible. I would say that one thing that helps Michigan uh, a little bit along the way is actually the success of the last few games. Because the argument that Michigan has gotten to where they are by Connor Stallion stealing signs seems to be winnowing with each victory. You can certainly Alabama had nothing to do with stealing science that last game. So that certainly diminishes it. And a quirky thing about the NCAA, which is not objective, but seems to be true, and that is that when teams win, they don't like punishing them. I've seen that before, that once you win a national title, they hate vacating national titles. Mm -hmm. So that should not be a factor in any way, but in the past, I've seen that it is. 
So my guess is these wins help Michigan on two levels, I suppose. It's still a complete unknown what's going to happen next because the NCAA is unpredictable. And it must be said, too, I have no idea what evidence they have beyond Connor Stallions, basically. Um, I don't know who knew what and when, and all those things are going to be hashed out after the fact. In, in looking at the game, final analysis here, uh, obviously uh, Roman Wilson, J.J. McCarthy came up huge for the Wolverines uh, on offense. But when you look at the coaching, especially the final play called by Nick Saban, who gets uh, who gets the crown in terms of uh, being the, the coaching success in that game? I got to say that uh, I think the Michigan team basically outcoached uh, Alabama. The Michigan probably could have won 30 to 20 if they had, that made the mistake that we talked about. Um, but, yeah, that last play was a, a surprising call, I guess. And also, I don't think he ran the play correctly. He just went right up the middle. There was a gap to the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a, a bit a bit. Uh, I got to say, Guy, I got to – Jamie and Lloyd, I love you guys, but I have to talk to my chronological peer here, Guy Gordon, <laughs> and that is that I grew up watching Michigan lose these kind of games countless times. Yeah. Um, Bo Schmeckler was 2-8 and eight in the Rose Bowl. It's always uh-huh. a close game. I always bowled down to a play like that. For once, Michigan actually came out on top in a game like that, and that, I think Michigan fans are still getting their heads around. I know, and I got to tell you, I had a daughter at the game, my son-in-law. It was it was a joyous occasion, to be sure, especially with all the scars left from those previous disappointments. John, have a wonderful new year. We can't wait for the national title. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Well, if you're a fan of Michigan football, even if you're a Spartan fan, but say, hey, for the good of the state, we wanted to see a Wolverine win, then we're all winners this morning. And someone up in Grand Blanc is the biggest winner of them all. There, that would work. Yeah. It's a button thing. There it is. It's a button thing. First day back. One (laughs) ticket, one winning ticket, the largest Powerball jackpot, one of the largest in the game's history, bought in Grand Blanc at Food Castle. That's just south of Flint. And the uh, winning numbers, 12, 21, 42, 44, 49, and the Powerball was one. It's the fifth largest ever one in the multi-jurisdictional government-run lottery. It started back in 1992. You also had a ticket that won, you know, $2 million, just just a little bit, in Florida and Texas, and then California, Connecticut, Florida, Maryland. Uh, people there won a million bucks each. Well, not to be the Debbie Downer that uh, Jamie claims to be, but <laughs> I'm usually not. Uh, yeah, usually that's my role here. Yeah, yeah you were, you were, are you changing things up in the new year? Maybe. Oh man, no, just no, the no. thought that they could get that national title and then it might be stripped away is just. It, Look, you, it's you out gave there. me a chill. It's out there. I know, I know your face was like eek, but you know I wanted to ask John Ubacon his thoughts on that. All right. In the meantime, someone won the Powerball, eight hundred yeah. some odd million uh, dollars. Eight hundred forty-two. A little thing happened while we were all off on Christmas and New Year's break. The U.S. national debt checked in at a, it, that is now uh, beyond thirty-three trillion, which means this is kind of an interesting milestone. Each taxpayer in the United States has $100,000 in debt on their government-issued credit card. Mm-hmm. And it's no signs that they're going to have any kind of fiscal restraint, any moment of saying, well, that's, you know, that's kind of a watershed moment. Maybe we should pause and reflect on this. And maybe, you know, let's create that budget commission. Everyone talks about how they're, they're very upset about it, but no one in Congress ever does anything. No. No. Because... You know, but we, why? Because we still have all of our expectations. We want you to bring home that bridge. We want you to bring home that right. money for new concrete. Yeah. We want you to bring home all that stuff. 
Until and we, stuff costs money. And by the way, <laughs> yeah, don't even mention Medicare or Social Security or we're going to drum you out of office, even though you're not going to be touching mine. Just the mere mention of it. Right. The, yeah, you better not touch the third rail. But that was just kind of an interesting little thing that, that popped up on my radar. The other one was um, Joanne Mother writes uh, writes about the future. She's a uh, lives here in southeast Michigan, writes for Axios. This will be the year, she claims, of drone deliveries, a breakout year for drone deliveries, that in many American cities this will be the year that we see things being just-in-time deliveries from the air uh, to your neighborhood. I think people will be on board if you get your stuff. Yeah, and they don't drop it. Yeah. It I'm also picturing, means... you know, like at <laughs> hockey games when those blimps are rolling right. around, they drop <laughs> tickets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we had that. I remember the, the Dixie Chicks when we were at a concert. They had a little blimp that was flying around that right. was dropping all kinds of tchotchkes. Mm-hmm. The other thing, New Year's Eve. Did you guys hear what I... Yep. Yes. Heard? Yep. I've never heard that amount of gunfire. Did you guys experience this, Jason? R- Nick, did you? No. Gail, as always, had the st- start of the new year with the window open, trying to freeze me out of the bedroom. Uh-huh. Um, and 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 so we we <laughs> no had we had great acoustics. I mean, semi-automatic weapon fire because yeah. it sounded like the Mandalay Bay attack. I have never heard that to that degree. And maybe it was just a weird thing the way sound was traveling. I, I just, heard it too. Right after the ball dropped, it. I'm like, are those fireworks? What and you is live that? on a totally different side of town than yes. I. Yes, yeah. and both my husband and I are like, no, I think that's gunshots. And then my thought was, well, those bullets have to come down. That's exactly what I said. I said they go up, they got to come down somewhere. So you're paranoid, be like, you know, is the bullet going to come through my roof or through a window or? And whatever. you and I have covered that. Yes, people we being, have people being struck in the top of the head. Yeah. That wasn't after the Pistons won and they were celebrating. Uh, that Pistons we were victory. wrong with our prediction. <laughs> yeah. The Pistons won in 2023, the yeah. last game of the year. And I was happy for them. Do you I see was. the exhaustion just on the? It's sort of like, oh, finally. And it was a close game, too. It and then they close. lost the next game after that. Yeah, so we started a new season. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, we got to say the first half they're, they they've been playing great in the first half. In many cases, they just they've been can't, shooting, man. They've been making just the points. Can't uh, seem to sustain it. I've got to say that our friends at Lake Superior State College have come out with their annual list of words that they want to ban. I love the fact that Oxford Dictionary's Word of the Year for 2023 is the first beer word to be banned in 2024. Riz, as wow. in you have charisma. You got you guys got Riz. If I ever huh. say that, just take off a shoe and hit me upside the head. I think that's the, wow. It's it's that's. It, I mean, I'm so glad they're banning that. Riz. I barely knew you because I didn't really know anything about it when it became the Oxford Word of that's, the Year, and yeah, now it's being right. banned. Like peace out. I you know. <laughs> Who cares? Was, was that banned too? Uh, probably. <laughs> oh, probably. Yeah. They, they're dry. The one I, I drew line, I think hack is a great word. It's also, to me, it's a positive word. I, yeah. You, you manage, my son used to run a website called lifehacker.com, which was a very positive site saying, hey, here's how you can get more battery life out of your phone. Here's a hack to help you um, make f- food last longer. Unless somebody yeah. calls you a political hack. And that, well, that's a different use than what they're trying to ban, <laughs> I, I, I I think. Um, there were a couple others on Iconic the list. Iconic is on here as well. Overused, uh-huh. no question. Um, side hustle. Now, you know, a lot of there have been a lot of entrepreneurs and people are what you know who have jobs and then have something on the side. Side hustle. I, I don't mind side. I hustle. I don't mind side. I don't think I've heard that a lot. 
interesting uh, well, I want to ban it. thing you should bring up side hustle. Uh, the new minimum wage laws and new uh, gig laws went into effect in California. They lost 12,000 DoorDash drivers almost overnight. Mm. Wow. Because it's not worth it. They're, they're just saying that you've, you've just made it impossible for me to, uh, to do my job. And uh, all of them, if you were using, the, excuse me, these were delivery drivers, okay. regular delivery drivers. Mm-hmm. They're all moving to DoorDash. I'm sorry, I misstated it. They're all moving to DoorDash because the, the for instance, Pizza Hut, they had its own delivery drivers, yeah. would have to pay them full benefits and all that stuff. And they said, I can't do that. We can't justify this and we can't pass it along to the consumer. So a great unintended consequences from the state of high taxes to begin with, uh, you just put a boatload of people out of a job. Congratulations. Wow. So I won't get my pizza in one of those electric vehicles? Well, oh, now the drones. In California. Yeah. Well, and that's oh, the okay. other thing. They said watch for this, if this ripples through the economy, yeah. watch for automation to take over this because they've also had a lot of other things that they've instituted in, in the fast food industry in California, which will give, I mean, every year uh, we've got some friends that are in the in the franchise, and they said, "Oh yeah, every year they're rolling out new automation mm-hmm. stuff." We go to the annual meeting, you know. It's just that it hasn't made sense to invest in that yet, and we really don't want to. We like to hire the people we hire, and we love the people we hire. Yeah, and I like to be waited on by a person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's. I mean, and it's getting far and few between. You know, you got kiosks all over the place now. You you know, punch in your order, and you know. Well, and that's one of those things. Big, you, know, you know, the big story coming up ahead is what will the Michigan Supreme Court do with the minimum wage in Michigan? Will we see a huge jump in it? Will we see an end to the tip economy? That's going to be a story that we're going to be watching um, in 2024. Israel is drawing down some troops in the Gaza. Two brigades are being pulled in. The story behind this, you know, we would we want, certainly want to see an end to the suffering there if it means that they feel that they have can declare victory in some parts of, of Gaza. Uh, that would be great. It's really got more to do with putting people back into the workforce. It, this is, to some degree, shut down mm. Israel's economy because the huge call-up created labor shortages, in some cases, uh, so extreme that some businesses have had to just pause things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Netanyahu said this does not mean it's the end of the war. Don't look it no. into it like that. Because it, you want to get rid of, of, of Hamas, and you know you can't. I don't think that's been done. No. Meantime, uh, New York Times, devastating story. A two-month investigation that they posted just a couple of days ago. And if you get a chance, uh, check it out. Basically detailing the military failure of the IDF and its military planners. One of the hallmarks of the Israeli military has always been preparing for every eventuality. Mm -hmm. Right. And in spite of reports, advanced reports that they got and analysis that they had, they failed to prepare for this. And in some cases, there's reports... It was Israeli military units activating themselves, paratroopers activating themselves because they didn't get the call from the IDF saying, we're under attack, you need to activate right now. And you know how they chose their, their media? You know how they chose their targets? Social media. Oh, That's how I, I, they found out where they needed to go. Failure. It is. When you think about 9-11 and all of our first responders running toward the chaos, looking to help, that didn't happen. People were waiting for like nine hours. Where was the communication? Mm-hmm. And when the Times went to ask both uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and other Israeli military leaders, your comment on this story, I mean, this is based on internal documents. It was based on a ton of stuff. 
well, we're not looking at that until we're done with this war. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're, you're running for political cover, and there is just a groundswell of, of people demanding answers in Israel to this. Not to diminish what they need to do or that effort, but, boy, they need to start addressing this. Yes. We've got uh, some new laws that we're going to be watching here very quickly in the new year. Yeah, uh, the uh, minimum wage in Michigan increasing from 10.10 an hour to 10.33. Michigan's unenforced old abortion ban will be removed from the books. Also, employment discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity will be outlawed. Gun control laws requiring universal background checks and safe storage will be enforced. Domestic violence offenders will be banned from having firearms for eight years after sentencing. Just and uh, our good friend Nolan Finley is looking at his crystal ball for the new year. We will connect with Nolan for our first visit of the new year just ahead on Jerry Morning at 819. Well, as we embark upon a new year here, it will be an interesting one up in Lansing with the legislature divided, even Stephen in the House. Uh, How will that work out? Uh, Also, we've got all these trials involving the former president and a lot of discord in the state Republican Party, including two competing meetings uh, in the next week, which may or may not determine whether Christina Caramo remains as chairperson. Uh, all of it, uh, grist for our favorite mill, uh, the editorial page at uh, the Detroit News, and we welcome in that page's editor, Nolan Finley. Happy New Year, Nolan. Happy New Year to you, Guy and crew. Um, I'm still trying to figure out, though, uh, when first down marker became line of game. You miss one week of watching football and the whole nomenclature plays. That's so. <laughs> <laughs> true. Meantime, you guys uh, had quite a get. Christina Caramo doesn't like to talk to the press. Uh, and when she does, it, it can be highly contentious. Yet she did sit down with your colleague, Caitlin Buss. What is yeah. she saying about um, the cupboard, whether it's bare and uh, whether she can remain? Everything's rosy. Uh, I mean, you read that interview, which is a good interview and surprised us. I mean, we had just put a call in. Caitlin had put a call in last week when she was writing a column about uh, – uh, Caramo and the Republican Party. And Saturday, she calls her back and wants to wants to talk. And basically, what she said is uh, she's not going to be forced out of office if she can at all help it, and not not going to resign and not going to compromise on anything. It's full steam ahead in the same disastrous direction they've been headed. Nolan, in your piece a few days ago, you're saying 2024 will be a bad year for the GOP, but you don't just limit it to Karamo and the Michigan Republicans. You say overall it's not great, and the National Party doesn't have the money at either. The National Party has about one-seventh of the cash it would normally have at the start of an election year. And the problems in the Michigan State uh, GOP are mimicked all across the country. You have state parties in Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, other places struggling to pay their legal bills from 2020, uh, not being able to raise money and feuding, have, you know, rack with internal feuds. At the, and, you know, again, it, it all goes back in my mind to uh, Donald Trump and his grip on the party and the grip his acolytes have on the party. They're not interested in winning elections. They're interested in uh, elevating Donald Trump at the expense of everything else. So I think what should have been a great year 
for Republicans is going to turn out very badly. And I was going to ask you uh, about Donald Trump and, and how much he plays a part in and how all of this is is falling apart for the Republicans and how they, you expect them to do in 2024. And people are, you know, they don't even care about those, you know, polls about Trump and Joe Biden, you know, running there. They really just are, are trying to gauge, uh, you know, how bad he is and, and how he is like a drag on the GOP. That's all they care about is Donald Trump. And, you know, they're not going to win with him. Uh, we proved that in 2020. And uh, I don't see how Donald Trump is more attractive today than he was in in 2020 after all of the uh, things we've been through uh, and learned about January 6th. Uh, you know, we the Republicans could win with another candidate, but they're there's no chance, I think, that now that they'll turn to another candidate. Almost any Republican could beat Joe Biden uh, other than Donald Trump, and yet that's who they're determined to stick with. And so, you know, there's there's a consequence in that sort of, of stubbornness and that sort of closed-mindedness. It seems that uh, the, the national media has, has fallen into the same trap it did several years ago, which is reporting more on Trump's personality and his yeah. truth social posts than they are on some of the things that he's got planned uh, if and when he becomes president, one of them being a 10% across-the-board tax on imports, a universal tariff on mm-hmm. imports. And, and the, the, you know, the, the studies are out on this, uh, Nolan. Manufacturing employment in the U.S. may be up 3.4% since his tariff spree in 2018, but when you look at the uh, if, if steel, for instance, only up 1%, while those manufacturers that use steel to produce what they do, they are down 2.8% in employment. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a net, it's a double a net loss. Yeah, tariffs. I mean, he, he proved himself that tariffs don't work. And now here we are again. I mean, when, when did you ever see a free market um, economic conservative uh, be so in love with tariffs? And once again, I mean, it, it shows that Donald Trump doesn't really stand for any principles. I mean, he's a, a populist who, who runs on instinct. Well, this sounds good. Let me try this. Yeah. And, you know, we know tariffs are damaging to trade and that trade's essential to a healthy economy. Yeah, well, we uh, we did create some steel jobs, but they came at a cost of nine hundred thousand dollars per job, and that was paid by the U.S. consumer. Good, good Lord! It sounds like he's playing by Gretchen Whitmer's playbook. I wasn't going to say that because I knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nolan, what about uh, the tapes that the Detroit News broke? Uh, him on the call with Monica Palmer and William Hartman. Yeah, I mean, you could. If you want to, I mean, if you're if you're in doubt at all that he was engaged in a conspiracy to overturn uh, the election and to you know pressure good people into not doing their their jobs and not doing what the law requires them to do, uh, read the articles about the tapes that the that uh, Craig Mogger and the news listened to, and uh, you know it's going to disavow you of that notion. I mean, he was doing everything he could to foster this idea of a stolen election. 
even in a place like Michigan where the election wasn't that close. Nolan, you still predict that uh, Joe Biden won't be on the ballot in November? I don't think he will. I think Democrats are looking at the same thing I'm looking at. You you look at the polls and you put any Democrat on that ballot and they beat Donald Trump. And I think their uh, sort of obsession is with was with beating Donald Trump and not with saving Joe Biden, which, by the way, is the right priority uh, for a political party. And I don't think they're going to let blind loyalty to a faltering, failing president keep them from holding on to the White House. They are all about holding power. And we should point out that we get the chance to see your handsome face tonight at 10 on Detroit Public Television. This is part of your Great Lakes Civility Project. Yeah, the national PBS has a a series a a series of specials called A Citizen's Guide to Preserving Democracy. And tonight, uh, Steve Henderson and I, our civility project is is featured on tonight's episode, ten o'clock on uh, PBS. I think that's uh, DPTV uh, locally, channel fifty six. Absolutely. Well, we will look forward to that and look forward to future conversations in the new year. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year, Nolan Finley. Uh, When we come back, we will check in uh, with the other big coach here in the state of Michigan, Magnum T.I., Tom Izzo, next on JR Morning. Well, we're trying to do all of our Monday business on a Tuesday just to get all caught up, and that includes a visit with our good friend Tom Izzo, Michigan State men's head basketball coach. Good morning, coach. How are you guys? Happy uh, New Year to all of you. I hope uh, I hope you had a lot of New Year's resolutions that all come true. And uh, great to talk to you after the holidays. They're uh, you as well. They're all still intact, and we hope it was a wonderful one for, wonderful one for our favorite new <laughs> our favorite new grandpa. Uh, yeah. Uh, so this is an interesting post from the Athletic. The best day in college football playoff history. They're making the case that while Florida State may have been jobbed, it was in the committee's action the best playoff setup that they could possibly do, and we did see two great games. Do you look at that, that yesterday was just great overall for for college sports? Well, I do. I have a different reason, uh, you know, and uh, you know how emphatic I am about Twitter or X or whatever the hell it's called now. But it's just as emphatic about the transfer portal. Um, and what you saw yesterday is nobody transferred, you know, because you had four teams that all were playing for something. And, they, you know, what you saw in some of those bowl games was almost ridiculous, you know, the number of people that didn't play because they were already gone and things like that. And uh, that, I think, was an unintended consequence of the problem. So yesterday, for me, a football nut. I mean, uh, you know, it's hard to pull for Michigan when you're at Michigan State. But as far as a football game, um, I thought both games were uh, incredible. And I think uh, guys were playing for the reasons that we used to play for. It wasn't the money. It wasn't the transfer. Yeah. It wasn't the, it's for the school. And so I'm giving you 100% yes. But with a, with a sidebar to that is uh, – you also got a little picture during some of those bowl games of what the future's like if we don't get our problems straightened out. Well, and the 12-game playoff uh, scheme going forward will, will, to some degree, 
address that, don't Some. you think? Here's yeah. the hope. Some. Yeah. You're hosting the uh, Nittany Lions uh, Thursday at uh, Breslin Center, Coach. Uh, what, what's your scouting report look like? Well, you know, it's a completely different team. You know, last year um, they had a really good coach. He's now at Notre Dame, and, and they shot 30-some threes a game. Now this team will shoot some threes, but um, a completely different style. It's a pressing. Never seen so many styles we played between Baylor and, and Indiana State, and they were every bit as good as I told you guys a week ago, you know, maybe better than I even thought. And uh, now Penn State comes in and um, – different team they've lost a couple overtime games they've been in every game very well coached and uh just a slew of of guys that have transferred what makes theirs a little better is two of them transferred from the school where he was at vcu so knows the system doesn't have to relearn everything and i think it's uh another challenge thank god we are playing better um you know as shame of you know, that we're still missing two players, Jeremy, of course, and uh, and uh, Jackson Kohler, uh, you know, is getting close. I'm uh, supposed to practice. You know I was going to ask you about him. I know you were. That <laughs> I, uh, that's why I brought it up, because I was thinking how you were thinking. And uh, But uh, he is coming. You know, I told you he had that little setback right before Christmas, but Thank God it was nothing major, and uh, we're being a little precautionary. But could he play by the weekend? He could, and uh, and yet the rest of our guys are are making some progress. We've been very good defensively, and we're getting much much better offensively, and that's been fun. Yeah, coach. So four game winning streak. What's gotten into Madi Sissoko and Jaden Akins? They're playing better. They have this juice and energy we hadn't seen. Yeah. Yeah, Marty, I, I, you know, Marty, number one, I would agree. You know, he's back to blocking shots and rebounding the daylight out of the ball and starting to get the ball into him. He's shooting 85% from the free throw line. And so, you know, you can't be happier for Marty. If you knew him, you'd, you'd love him. And, uh, and Jaden, uh, I think, has been a big, big key. He's gotten better defensively. He's gotten – he was a good defender, but I think Jaden was one of those guys that shot affected his whole game and – made a couple adjustments in his shot and I mean he's uh he's been dynamite I mean he's been um I, I think that is one of the big reasons we've gotten better is he's he went through a stretch where he couldn't make a shot in practice or and uh you know we spent some time talked about it and he works his tail off and uh and it's all coming back to him and, and even more so you're right that's a that's a pretty good scouting report. <laughs> you, you're coming off this this game with uh, Indiana State, eighty-seven seventy-five, uh, and and looking at kind of planting the flag in the Big Ten and, and hitting reset. Tell me how important the momentum is coming off that Indiana State game. Yeah, it's really important. You know, I mean, uh, unfortunately, there are more ups and downs now with some of these teams, you know, I'm sitting there looking at Arizona two nights ago. They got beat 180 by Stanford. You know, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. But I think I go back to, you know, this up and down is a little product of some of the things that we've all and they're all going through. So uh, staying focused is still, uh, you know, my biggest things. Got to keep the distractions away from these guys. The distractions nowadays come in 
so many forms, you know, and uh, and that's kind of the task at hand. If you, you know, the best part of of football bowl games uh, in this case, and the best part of the NFL um, by far when they get to the Super Bowl is the human interest stories. I tell my guys, if you don't like football, you don't have to watch the game, but watch the human interest stories before the game. And people talk about the love for their school and the I love the brotherhood that they have. And there's just so many things that are more important than thinking about transferring or thinking about their Twitter so that they can get their NIL stuff out or, you know, it, it was really refreshing. And uh, that brought a, a gleam to my eye for all four schools uh, listening to those human interest stories. That's my favorite part about sports is the yeah, human interest no story. You know, the, the, the manager. Gotcha. You and yeah. I have two things in common now, body and <laughs> <laughs> well, keep talking to me watch two times it, a week. Man. We'll be besties. Yeah, you got to watch it, man. <laughs> get like me. You don't want to do that. I'll tell you that right now. You um, won't be sleeping. How about New Year's resolutions for your team as you this Big Ten stretch comes up here? Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of funny because yesterday I did something I've never done here. I walked into my meeting room and I said, okay. I, I handed out a card to everybody in a pen. I said, just put one New Year's resolution uh, down that you're going to work on. It can be for our team. It can be for yourself. I'm I'm really more interested in you personally. You know, you know. I'll share one thing I got from three different people of the 15 that were in there. Um, I've got to get more sleep. I got to get more rest. I got to shut the phone off. I was amazed of all the things. I got to get at least eight hours of sleep. I mean, I never heard that from an 18-year-old in uh, my life. That's right. Yeah, it tells you they're <laughs> as exhausted as we are. Yeah, and if I uh, if if I could put that down, I'd say I'd like to get four hours of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be tickled to death with four. You know, I'd have a party. But, uh, but I mean, it, it was really amazing. But mine... Um, Mine would somehow be, uh, you know, I talked about distractions, and I'm not sure I've done a good job. You know, I'm on all these committees and boards and all these things that have gone on the last couple of years. I think they've, you know, kind of been tough, and uh, maybe I haven't handled them right. And then we've had some issues here at Michigan State. And and so my New Year's resolutions is, resolution is going to be, you know, Utah put the distractions aside and try to enjoy uh, I got a I got a good team. It could be really good. I got great guys, yeah. and uh, I should be more appreciative of what I got. And uh, so I'm going to try to do that. Now that might last till today's practice if it doesn't go good. But I'm going to try to do that. We'll, Fair. We'll, we'll have a we'll have a check a reality check uh, every Monday and Friday. Yeah. Friday there here you go. on I am seven sixty. Well, maybe I'll predict. Interesting though, the takeaway that that you got, and it's true. Maybe that should be on all of we our all little slips put our of paper. Phones away, yeah. Put yeah. the phone down, Coach. Have a great uh, game against Penn State. We look forward to talking to you on Friday. I will, guys, and I hope seriously that uh, you do the same. You know, as appreciate. I guess we all got to do a better job of that because yep. a lot of good things going on and. Uh, uh, hopefully this year will be the best for you guys. It'll be the best for us. How's that? Great. Sounds, Sounds good. good. Thanks so All much, right. Coach. Take care. Coach. Take care. When we come back,
He is John Doe 36. You may know him by a different name, but he is on one of the most notorious sheets that will be unveiled today. Who were Jeffrey Epstein's besties? That's next on JR Morning. It could be a very uncomfortable day for the high and mighty. The 150 John and Jane Doe's mentioned in Jeffrey Epstein's sordid history. Uh, this all stems from a 2015 civil lawsuit uh, on his alleged abuse uh, with uh, a, a young woman who uh, filed a civil complaint against him. But all of it cloaked in mystery around the the high and mighty that were in his inner circle. Well, their anonymity will be stripped and laid bare as of today. What could that mean uh, to some of these Potentially very familiar names. Jeff Manasso, Fox News radio correspondent and WJR contributor, watching it all uh, as it unveils. Jeff, remind us, why were these names kept secret in the first place? Why are they being unmasked now? Well, they were part of a a civil lawsuit in 2015 uh, from Epstein accuser Virginia Gouffray. She accused Epstein and his uh, his co-conspirator, Ghislaine Maxwell, of directing her to to have sex with Prince Andrew and, and several other prominent men and and so these 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 names uh, were were redacted on on, uh, on on you know legal proceedings and in a, a, a federal judge in Manhattan um, just before Christmas uh, ordered the release unredacted of all of those names we're talking about 170 names or so of, of men and women um, linked in some way to Jeffrey Epstein. We don't know the details yet, uh, though the New York Post and others report that former President Bill Clinton is expected to be identified in a trove of redacted court documents that will reportedly mention Clinton uh, dozens of times, again, related to that civil lawsuit. Um, uh, he's, uh, you know, Prince Andrew uh, also as well, but he's denied any allegations. Both of them have denied allegations. Prince Andrew later settled a lawsuit that uh, Gouffre filed against him. Uh, and, and Clinton has maintained that he was never on Epstein's island, uh, that he ended his relationship with Epstein in 2005 before Epstein was accused of, of luring underage girls to his home in Palm Beach. Um, ABC reports that the documents are not expected to implicate Clinton in any illegal activity. But, you know, there are a lot of questions swirling around who these people are and what their relationship was with Epstein. And some of these people are expected to be pretty powerful and pretty well-known people. Well, Jeff, some, uh, the, the judge said some of the names on the list will re- remain sealed. Um, what will, what are those names? Why would they remain sealed? We are sealed? told those are victims who were underage uh, at the time of their abuse. And Jeff, it's saying online like there's this list coming out. It's not going to be in list form. It's going to be woven within the story, so we'll know more. You know, here's the problem: we 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 don't know what we don't know, and, and until we see the 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 list, the documents, and and what they potentially mean, and and, and you know, potentially accusations. Um, there's not much to go on mm-hmm. other than the, you know, the speculation and, you know, the intrigue. Uh, and, you know, if there's something there, if there's some meat there, then, you know, why were these names kept? Why was this kept quiet? Mm-hmm. And, and also, you know, who fought to keep these, this information quiet? Um, this is going to lead to a lot many uh, more questions, I believe, 
uh, than, than, than we have right now. Um, and so, you know, we expect, actually, we expect they, this, this list could be released within, you know, hours. I mean, we could know this, this list today. And if so, um, you know, we'll be, we'll certainly be on it and, and reporting on it. So knowing the names is one thing, knowing their context and why yeah. they were and what they were doing in Epstein's orbit is another. So to, to Jamie's correct. point, how much more context and detail will we will we get about potential wrongdoing? Well, we hope to get a lot. We hope to get it all. We hope to we hope to uh, to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. But you know, something tells us in our experience here as journalists, if we're talking about some of the most powerful people in the world uh, with, with something to cover up, <laughs> there might be a, there might be a cover up. Uh, we'll see. We, we again, we, we we don't know what we don't know, uh, but uh, we hope to find out more, a lot more. And yeah. um, it's going to start with that list that's going to be released anytime now. And I'm wondering what the fallout will be once those names are released in this uh, world we live in of cancel culture. You know, even if people yeah. don't get a lot of information, they see the name on the list. Well, right. you know, we start dogging them and <laughs> you're running them out of time. Yeah, of course. Yep. So you expect it sometime today. And then what do you, th- do you think it'll be hundreds and hundreds of pages to comb through? Yeah, it's supposed to be many, many pages. Uh, yeah, of of names and potential situations. Again, this all stems from from that that civil lawsuit uh, that Virginia Gouffray, uh filed against Epstein uh, and 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 others, um, uh, you know, several years ago. And so, um, you know, this was a, a, a civil trial in which she tried to get Bill Clinton to to testify. For her uh, against Ghislaine Maxwell and 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 Epstein and others, and so uh, which was unsuccessful. She didn't get Bill. Bill Clinton wouldn't testify, but um, you know she did not accuse Bill Clinton of of, of any wrongdoing uh, in this civil lawsuit. That's what this is from, and so um, yeah, lots of questions. I'd love to see that little black book that uh, that we're told that Ghislaine Maxwell held. Um, that's potentially in the hands of the FBI or, 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 or someone else. And so, uh, you know, we're going to find out more details and it's going, it's going to lead to a lot more questions yeah. uh, as it pertains to this, this saga. Um, but we just don't know yet what we're looking at. Well, Jeff, we will be watching it uh, and you're reporting on Fox News. We appreciate the detail. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Jeff Manasso, Fox News radio correspondent. We'll see uh, what other shoe drops what was the uh what was the uh there was a line that came from the Clinton scandals years ago of whether or not there's a smoking bimbo in the closet uh and that that will be kind of what we were wondering here so if i was to ask you what was the most intensely searched topic on google uh in uh, in 2023 what what do you think it would be huh oh man that's a good question i don't know this one surprised me it didn't last long, but the most intensely searched topic was Demar Hamlin's injury oh, and he, and with the Bills, his his yeah, yeah the Bills player and this the coronary event that he right. had in the middle of that game, hmm. and I mean that that in terms of the the amount of captivating stories of the year, nothing spiked higher than that. But you can learn a lot from some other things. Uh, Kevin McCarthy was big, classified documents huge. Um, the Chinese spy balloon, uh, yeah. like number five, um, general unidentified flying objects is as, as if they ever stop being a source right. 
of interest. But the one that seemed high and sustained for the longest period of time, and this may be an indication of something coming up, was student loans. People never stop searching for some kind of relief, relief or insight. Relief or am I involved yes. in this? Yes. Yeah. In terms of people just constantly saying, I'm getting crushed. Yes, Ukraine, Joe Biden, Joe San- uh, George Santos, all big. But the other one was big. We'll see you tomorrow.